Well, good morning. Uh, it's, it's good to be here again, uh, to be with God's people and to study his word and to cry out to God. And we're going to talk about that today, if I can hold it together. <laughs> Last week, we started a series, like Bill had just mentioned, on lament. And the Bible has a lot to say about lament. So it's good news that we have plenty of places to turn. And this morning, we're going to start in the Psalms, specifically Psalm 10. But this summer, we're going to study multiple Psalms that lament various things in the world, various circumstances, sin, etc. And the book of Lamentations. As Bill said earlier, lament really is a passionate expression of grief and sorrow directed toward God. Lament is a passionate expression of grief and sorrow directed toward God. It's a journey where we begin to process suffering and pain and we move towards hope. Lament ultimately comes, as Matt mentioned last week, from the gap between pain and promise. Between our experience and what God has told us about himself. So lament is holding pain and promise together. And that is great news for us. Because we have places to turn to deal with what we see in the world. What we just prayed about. Ultimately, our hope through this study is that together we would be better equipped to endure suffering and to be able to use lament to direct our experience of pain towards God. Think of it this way. Think of it like we are on a ship in a storm, but we have no instruments. What would you do? How would you cope? How would you make it? How would you survive? And what biblical lament does is give us the tools, the instruments to guide us and navigate through those storms of life and to do it in faith. That's our hope. Unfortunately, lament is foreign to many of us, myself included, um, because I think of the cultural and social pressures. Think of it as two extremes. On one hand, we have social media that all we do is put out there the best of our lives, right? We put the happy pictures, everything's happy-go-lucky, there's not a care in the world. We're on the beach, we're on a vacation, we're doing whatever, and all of these things are beautiful. And then on the other extreme, the evening news, where there's nothing but sad stories of war and poverty and destruction in this world. With social media, you will never process pain. And with the evening news, you will never get hope. And we stand in between. And the Bible tells us that we have something to stand on in his word. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to journey through the Bible and talk about lament. 
As I've already mentioned, the Bible offers lots of material here. Unfortunately, we haven't paid a lot of attention to it yet. But God is gracious and kind and keeps drawing us back to this topic. And we're going to spend the next 8 to 12 weeks through the summer studying this. And I'm, I'm actually excited about it. Um, each of us has known pain and suffering. And I would dare say many of you right now sitting in your chair are probably processing pain and suffering even right now. It's part of the human condition. But we as Christians want to process pain and suffering differently than the world. And that's what lament is. Lament offers us a way to to process pain and suffering, to hold it together, to stand on God's word, even in the midst of tears and heartbreak and suffering. We don't want to face pain and suffering like a stoic, where we just look the other way or pretend it doesn't happen or it doesn't impact us. We just keep a good face and we're okay. And we also don't want to become vindictive and angry at God and judgmental of him. We, after all, are the creature, not the creator. So where can we fill the gap? Lament. It serves us as we learn to process pain and suffering. And that's where lament meets us in the Bible, where it's going to meet us today in Psalm 10. In the thick of trials and hardship. So we're going to look at this psalm of lament and hopefully get some tools to guide us, whether you're in pain now and dealing with suffering or will in the future, or you're walking along someone who is in that right now. Like I said earlier, there's many reasons to lament in the Bible. Maybe it's over personal sin or circumstances or social problems, but this morning we're specifically going to look at injustice. The Bible has a lot to say about injustice. God cares about it. And the fact that we see injustice everywhere that we look, we should be called to lament. We should care. Obviously, when we face and experience injustice, we ask ourselves lots of questions, don't we? Is God unjust? Is he not powerful, after all? Is he not loving? I thought he cared about his people, that he was going to provide for them, that he would be with them. Does he not draw near to those who are persecuted and afflicted? I think in light of pain and suffering, we first must turn to God and bring him into our pain. The lament we cry out is meant to meet God and ultimately to call him to action. Stand by your word, Father. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to do that in three steps. It's outlined in your bulletin there. We're going to look at authentic suffering. We're going to next look at authentic lament and finally authentic hope.
But before we go any further, if you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 10, and would you stand with me in honor of God's word? Hear the word of the Lord. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws them into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To to you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Amen. You can be seated. So we enter into Psalm 10. We don't know a whole lot about what's really going on, what the immediate context is here of this psalm, but obviously it's, it's pretty plain what he's going after. Many believe that David is its author, and some believe that Psalm 9 and 10 are a couplet. They go together because they form a, a partial acrostic, a poem, that leads with some of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. But nevertheless, we're going to look solely at Psalm 10 this morning. It has a lot to say for us as far as lamenting and lamenting injustice. Immediately from verse 1 through 11, we're confronted with the psalmist's two concerns. One, the description of the evildoers and the perpetrators of evil, verses 2 through 11. It's one of the most detailed look into the heart and mind of those who carry out injustice. It's devastating. It's raw and it's real. And it's heartbreaking. You can't read that without your heart breaking. And the second thing is the appearance that God is distant. 
That's behind the questions in verse 1. God, where are you? Are you unconcerned about injustice? I thought you said in your word that you cared, that you were a God of justice. So there's the two concerns. This is real, authentic suffering. What does that suffering look like? Well, the ones who carry out injustice are proud. Look at the verbiage here in verse 2, in arrogance. Verse 3, the wicked boasts, the greedy for gain, curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. There's pride. This perpetrator of injustice is self-ruled and self-exalting. Whatever it takes, I'm going to get what I want even if it costs other people their lives. They are consumed with and by the things they do to others. Look at this. The wicked hotly pursue the poor. They're scheming. Let them be caught in their schemes that they've devised. They think about it. It's premeditated. It's just not an accident that these things happen. The only thing is they're interested in promoting themselves. But violence and betrayal, as described here, are not accidental. They're planned. They are thinking about using and abusing others. And who are they abusing? The poor and the disadvantaged. Again in verse 2. They're greedy for their own gain. Whoever's beneath them, they'll step on them to get what they want, whether it's financial or otherwise. And they seem to prosper in their ways for now. And they believe that will always be the case. Is there anything more unjust than that? They sit, verse 8, in ambush and murder innocent. You know what they do? They look for helpless people, vulnerable people, poor people, because they present very little opposition to their cause. But you know what? In the framing that the psalmist makes here of these perpetrators of injustice, He also brings to bear the fact that the ones who oppress the poor and the helpless and the innocent, you know who they really have a problem with? Ultimately, God. It's a matter of God's concern. He cares about injustice. And all throughout this, all his thoughts are, there is no God. He's not going to be judged in the end. He can get away with whatever he wants to get away with. It's a lie. This perpetrator is believing that he can continue to do what he wants to do and never be called to account. And in denying God and God's judgment, these evildoers heap even more accusation against them. So this psalm, Psalm 10, I want to be very clear, 
is for all of us as well. It's for anyone who is under assault, where people wish to use you or harm you. And this psalm gives us insight into knowing God in the midst of being violated. Is there anything more devastating than that? And yet this psalm, like we will see in a minute, draws us to lament and through lament to hope. Sorrow could enter your life through an unfair supervisor at work or maybe a persecution for your faith at school or at work. It could be in the form of an adulterous spouse or a family living in a high-crime neighborhood or a victim to a financial scam. Any of these scenarios and many, many more, this psalm is there to encourage and comfort you. Psalm 10 also has something to say about the issue of racism and the implications on financial inequality, on issues around housing and education and legal inequality. And as Bill prayed earlier, the global problem of trafficking. This psalm speaks directly to all of these concerns and issues. And believe me, we all were faced with an example of this earlier this year when the U.S. Olympic Committee was faced with the ravages of Larry Nasser and the abuse to all of those gymnasts for all of those years, and the institutions looked the other way. If you want to hear something encouraging in the midst of pain, go look up Rachel Den Hollander's um, testimony in that case is full of gospel truth in the midst of pain. The second question already referenced is what comes up in verse 1. Where are you, God? I thought you cared about injustice. You feel distant and that you do not care, that you're unresponsive to injustice. We've just seen in verses 2 through 11, it is vast. And we have no hope. We can do nothing about it. But you can. Where are you? Obviously, we have no power to change our circumstances or overpower these perpetrators of injustice. But God, you do. Won't you help us? You said that you would always be with us and for us, but it doesn't feel like it right now. How can you stand by and allow these injustices to go unpunished. These questions are the psalmist's prayer and his attempt to call God to action. It's actually a display of the psalmist's faith in God. Do you know why? Because he's actually going to God. It's a statement of faith. It's engaging with God, knowing that he has to act Or nothing good will come of this, and nothing will change. We can relate to these problems, can't we? To what the psalmist is saying. Haven't you felt dismissed by God? Or 
that he's distant or absent in your pain? I know I have. And I know I haven't always responded the best way either. But we have an example here in the psalm of lament to lead us in this journey, this journey of genuine faith. We should not, be careful, friends, we should not be like Job's friends. When you are walking with somebody that's going through pain, be careful. The feelings that a sufferer is feeling are real. And God is big enough to handle it. They shouldn't suppress them. They should voice them. And you should encourage them. But go to God. God ultimately could intervene. But you know what? Many times he chooses not to. And you know what? This is where lament enters in. In the midst of feeling abandoned, the psalm writes Psalm 10. So the question is that we have to ask ourselves, what stance will we take towards God in the midst of pain and suffering? There's two answers here. One is a cry of faith, looking to God. And the other is a response of unbelief and hatred and accusation. What will you choose if you're in the midst of pain right now? Or what will you choose when it comes in the future? The voice that we hear in Psalm 10 is that of an innocent victim who is relying on God. That only happens as a result of his lament. So let's take a look at what it means to lament, authentic lament. We said last week that lament is how we bring our sorrow to God. It's actually how Christians grieve. And it's how we can help one another when we're hurting. But you notice every lament is a prayer. It's voiced to God. It's a statement of faith. It's saying, I have nowhere else to go, nowhere else to turn. God, please help. It's a prayer in pain that leads to trust. That's beautiful. It's a prayer in pain that leads to trust. When we're asking, where are you, God? If you loved me, why is this happening? We need to learn to lament. We must resolve to talk to God, to keep praying, to keep wrestling, to invite God into our pain. So what does biblical lament look like? We talked about these four steps last week. Bill prayed through the four steps again earlier. I want to go through them one more time because our psalm, Psalm 10, lays this out beautifully. So there's four steps. First, turning. Turning to God. That's in verse 1. And we've already touched on that briefly, but I'll explain more. The second is complaining. Complaining to God. We've talked on that a little bit as well. That's in verses 2 through 11. 
The third is asking God to do something. Asking. Verses 12 through 15. And then lastly, trusting God. Verses 16 to 18. Turning, complaining, asking, trusting. Turning to God. There's actually three ways that we can respond to suffering. There's silence, there's judgment, or there's lament. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've been all over the board on those. And that's why we need each other to keep pointing us back to the truth. Silence ultimately leads to despair and reveals unbelief. It's kind of like the stoicism. You just kind of take it internally and you process it internally with no one else and definitely not with God. And it ultimately is saying that this situation is hopeless and that God doesn't care, he does not hear, and nothing is ever going to change. I want to caution us not to choose silence. It's deadly for our souls. The next one is no better. On the other extreme is judgment. It's directing our anger at our circumstances and what we're going through from our suffering, and we put that onto God. And it looks like self-centered rage. And it's directed at God when life hasn't gone our way, the way we wanted it to. And I would caution here, it's just another way of unbelief. Don't choose judgment, friends. It's also deadly. If we judge the Creator, who do you turn to in your suffering? It also overlooks our own sinfulness. As Bill read from Romans 3, it's actually a quote of Psalm 10.7 is in Romans 3. And it's where all of us are convicted. None of us are without sin. So how can we sinful people judge God who is holy? Be careful. And then finally, lament. Lament is praying in pain with all of its struggles, with all of its questions, with all of its doubt. It's an act of faith. When we open up our hearts to God and prayerfully vocalize our hurt and our doubt. Now I want to be quick to say, if we do lament, authentic lament, it doesn't mean a quick fix. It's not a formula. It's not a guarantee that our emotional struggles are going to end right away. But they will one day. It's helping us to struggle the right way. We believe that God will one day answer and restore. He will redeem. Jesus bought it, full redemption, and it will one day be all of ours who are found in him. So we have to turn to God. Do it in lament. The second piece, complaining. There's actually four steps to a godly complaint I want to cover because I think it's so helpful. We have to walk a fine line here. The question is, is it wrong to complain? Shouldn't we always be content and thankful? Clearly, Psalm 10 
gives us a very long complaint. Many, many verses, over half of the text. So I don't think complaining, all complaining, is sin. But it does depend on our intent. So how can we complain and not sin? That's the question. Here's four steps. Again, um, this structure comes from Mike Rogup. I think that's his name, how you pronounce it. And it's so helpful in his book. Uh, I want to share them with you. How do you complain and not sin? First, come humble. You can come with your honest questions, but you can't have an attitude that God owes you anything. Come with your questions, but not with an attitude that we are owed anything from God. The second is pray the Bible. This is so helpful. We have psalms of lament. We have sections of scripture that we can use to pour out our hearts to God and to use it as guardrails to make sure we're not falling off into a ditch with either silence or judgment. So pray the Bible. Use biblical language as a guide. Third is be honest. Friends, he is a loving father who went to no ends to redeem you by sending his son. He is big enough to handle your struggles and frustrations. He wants to hear from us in our pain. So be honest. And fourthly, don't just complain. The ending of lament is not with complaint. We don't see that here in Psalm 10. You will not see it anywhere in any of the Psalms of lament. It's a step in the journey and the process, and we can't end there. It's not an end in itself. We don't complain just to complain. But it is a part of the journey leading us to God. It's central to lament. And it's an honest wrestling with God about what you're feeling and what you're experiencing and what you're going through instead of judging him. And it's using God's promise, specific verses and words from the Bible about God and what he has said he was going to be faithful to in order to complain. Are you forgetting, God, what you've told us to be true, what you have promised? We complain to God based on our belief in who he is and what he can do. So come humble, pray the Bible, be honest, but don't just complain. We are allowed to bring our questions to God. You know, it's actually important here in this psalm, Psalm 10, it is such a detailed, rich, vivid view of the complaint. I think it's so helpful to not overlook that. It's important for us to be specific and detailed in our complaints. What is it specifically about your pain and sorrow that you have a hard time swallowing and dealing with and believing? Bring that to God. Those details draw us closer to God and give us specific biblical truth to rest in. It's life-giving, friends, not to bottle up your pain and suffering, but to bear our souls to God, the one who has the power to do something about it. It won't be a surprise to God. 
Third, asking God. We see asking here in verses 12 through 16. This is the confident call upon God to act in accordance with his character. There's a confidence in the request because of the who behind the request. I think it's important for us to realize we will not always get an answer to the why. We won't know why this is happening. We're not guaranteed that answer. But we do know who is behind our lamenting. We do know who we are talking to and who we are dealing with. And so we can ask him boldly because we know he is able and willing to do the work. God's character and the knowledge of his past deliverance will lead us to ask. That's all the Israelites had was their history with God. And what's so interesting, just for all of us too, is that in spite of themselves and their sin and their struggle and the provision that God gave them, they continued to doubt and to not trust him. But he provided over and over and over again. They look back to the deliverance out of Egypt. And when they were in the wilderness, they wanted to go back to slavery instead of receiving God's provision. We do the same thing. We do the same thing. But we have to bring our request to God. We won't always get the why questions answered before getting to this stage. But we're calling to God. God, do something. Act. Help us. What do we ask when we see injustice, though? That's described here. What does the psalmist say? Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. That's what we call out. We call him to action. The psalmist does that so beautifully here. God, you and you alone can do something about this. Do it. Break the arm, verse 15, of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. Fix what is wrong, God, with this world. And while we wait, we trust. It's the fourth part, trusting God. Because at the end, verses 16 to 18, at the end of every lament is a choice. We will need to choose to trust. Everything else in the lamenting process is inviting you and I to make the decision of faith-filled worship. It's an active patience. We are constantly remembering what God has already done and has promised to do. Look here. For you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. That's trusting God. When you are helpless, who do you commit yourself to? And also, you will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. Do you trust God will do that one day? That's what biblical lament looks like. 
And finally, in our last couple of minutes here, I want to turn to our hope. Because the psalmist only had what had happened in Israel's history to depend on. And we have a much fuller story. The psalmist will start with his encouragement first, and then we'll go to our own. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. And then verse 14. But you do see. God sees. God cares. Nothing happens without him being aware of it. And nothing happens that he will not bring to complete justice. O oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. What encouragement do you? God hears us in our cries. God cares. You will strengthen their heart. God will give you strength to endure in faith. Your pain may not be resolved, but God will strengthen your heart. And God will incline his ear to do justice. Justice is coming. He is fully aware. And he will make all things right. What is the full story of the Bible, though? If you're a Christian in this room, and I don't presume that all of us are, then we have a record of God's steadfast love, don't we? And if you're not a Christian this morning, and you're here, maybe you're dealing with some pain, and maybe that's what brought you to church. It often is the case. We want you to hear what God says to all of us in our pain, in our suffering. To the Christian, he says, I love you with a steadfast love. We have to remind ourselves that God is trustworthy. We all know that the greatest injustice in all the world was when God himself planned the rescue mission to save sinners. God in perfect unity between the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, did not have to come and save anyone. But he did. And that started the plan of the greatest injustice that ever happened on the planet. The Father sent Jesus to enter into this broken world, the broken world that you and I live in now. He left glory aside and he entered into our mess. And unlike us, though, he lived a perfect life that we should have lived but couldn't and didn't. And he died a death that he did not deserve at the hands of sinners that have sinned against him, just like you and me. And he did it willingly, joyfully, because it was a plan that God would be just and the justifier of those who trust in Jesus. 
This is the answer, friends, to why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? It is God entering in to be with us. Emmanuel. And that's not all. Because he didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead and purchased full redemption. Not just over our sin, but all of our pain and suffering and this broken world. And while we wait, he has given us the spirit to pour God's love into our hearts. And we pray that that spirit's work would increase in our hearts through our lamenting. Jesus' death and resurrection has purchased final redemption, friends. That day is coming, but for now, we wait and we lament. Lament, as you've seen me talk about it today, is uniquely Christian. It is where a suffering saint continues to talk to God in their pain. So I want to encourage us all to not stop talking to God in your pain and suffering. Read Psalm 10. Read one of the other psalms of lament. Read it out loud. Let it work in your heart. And let it do its work in your life. Keep wrestling and struggling and praying. And keep trusting, friends, the one who keeps you trusting. In a world full of brokenness and pain, we have a way to process our suffering by lamenting. And we will go to God in our pain and wait for him to make all things right. Let's lament together. Would you pray? Father, I think we all know here in this room the depth of the brokenness of our world, the depth of our own brokenness, and our inability to make things right or to do things our way. And I'm so thankful that you give us biblical lament, a way to approach you and turn to you and complain to you and to ask you and to trust you in our pain and suffering. You care about injustice. You do. You sent your son to make it right. And we trust while we wait. Help us to lament until the day where our faith is turned into sight. Where we will lament no more. Because there will be no more sin or sorrow or suffering or pain or tears. But as we wait, help us to lament. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.